0: Guarding ourselves and the flock from false teachers is important and praiseworthy. We are also called to God a heart from becoming loveless in the process.
1: You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Like I said well, Our speaker today is Don Vino. Uh, many of you know him, but if you do not know him, uh, he is president of Midwest Christian Outreach located right here in Wonder Lake. It is the Christian apologetics and discernment ministry. He's been doing that for many years here. And of course, he and his wife, Joy, have been part of our church uh, fellowship here now for what's it been 15 plus years or something like that. So about 15 years. So we're delighted to have them with us here. We get to take advantage of this. I take Advantage of Don all the time, and you know, so but we're thankful for that though. So, so we're glad to have him come and speak to us today. Don, would you come up and speak? Thank you, sir.
0: Thank you, Pastor Dan. You're welcome. I always hate change, and I had to change laptops this week, and this one doesn't have a touch screen, so it's irritating <clears throat> in addition to being changed. I appreciate Wonder Lake Bible Church, Joy, and I both do a great deal. We love Pastor Dan, and in some ways, um, I need to have him around because he tries to be kind to people. I usually start off promising to offend somebody before I leave. (laughs) We have a webcast that we do every week that starts out like this. If you believe that that words are more injurious than sticks and stones, this is not a safe space for you. I'm so conservative, I can't turn left even when I'm driving. And Dan, when he came in, complained a little bit that I had taken his seat, but I had a problem. I can only sit on the right side of any auditorium. (laughs) It can be easy to forget things, and sometimes we need reminders. An elderly gentleman was at a gathering of family and friends with his wife, and he was talking about a new restaurant that had opened in the area that they had just been to and how good it was, great service, great food. And uh, they asked him, well, what's the name of the restaurant? And he thought, "Name, name of the, what's the name of the restaurant? What's that flower I really like? And someone said, Rose. He goes, oh, Rose, what is that restaurant that we went to? <laughs> <clears throat> Joy and I have come into that stage in life where we have to Remind ourselves why I went from one room to the next room. We have a little uh, uh, practice now after she cooks dinner. We both prowl the kitchen to say, did we turn off the stove? Did we close the fridge? Did we lock the door? Did we turn off the lights? And did we remember to bring the food back upstairs with us? Because we forget things. Those of us that sometimes have memory lapses can poke fun at it most of the time. However, it can result in dangerous situations. You can forget to turn off the stove and start a house fire. The same is true with our spiritual health. And it could potentially lead to something we might call, and I do call, spiritual AIDS, A-I-D-S. AIDS stands for the acquired ignorance of the doctrines of Scripture. The acquired ignorance ignorance of the doctrines of Scripture, the spiritual immune system of the body becomes spiritually compromised. Now, before we go too far, I do want to open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in this place to be reminded of what it is that we are to believe, to understand the need to defend the beliefs, especially in an increasingly pagan society, and the importance of loving one another in spite of disagreements. We give ourselves into your hands as we look into your word today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We have as a key thought for today this guarding ourselves and the flock from false teachers is important and praiseworthy. We are also called to guard our heart from becoming loveless in the process. See, I love Pastor Dan for a few reasons. He is very dedicated to teaching the Word of God book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, in context. He starts out every Sunday saying, the context is, and then he explains why this becomes important. Too many churches miss that, and that is an important element in understanding it. He also has the Wonder Lake Bible um, Institute. Very important. Few churches do that. Do you want to know what the overall story of the New Testament is? Go to the Wonder Lake Bible Institute and you get that information. A key thought we just read. Here's why this is important. I I try to keep up with what's going on in the church in general. So, When I speak, I'm not always speaking about a particular church. It's what's going on in the Christian community at large. And in 2022, the State of Theology study came out. They do this about every two years. And it's an important study because it tells us, it gives us a a pulse on the heartbeat of the church. Where are believers at today? And it was less than encouraging 43% of U.S. Evangelicals agreed with the statement number four, quote, God learns and adapts to different circumstances, end quote. In other words, nearly half of U.S. Evangelicals do not know that God is omniscient or all-knowing. He learns things and adapts to situations. That is a teaching called open theism, by the way. And the Evangelical Theological Society a few years ago had to make a decision if that fell within orthodoxy, and they couldn't decide. They didn't know. And a number of us resigned from the ETS within 48 hours. And when I my resignation letter, I wrote and I said, I suggest you keep the initials ETS, but change the name to the Elastic Theological Society. <laughs> so that everyone will know what you really stand for. 53% over half of U.S. evangelicals agreed with statement 16, the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Oh <laughs> State of the church. Uh, 42% of U.S. evangelicals agree with statement number 27, gender identity is a matter of choice. 46% agree with the statement number 28. The Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. Nearly half of evangelicals do not think these commands from God apply today. 56% of U.S. evangelicals agree with statement number three. God accepts the worship of all religions including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. This is a heretical view called perennialism, the idea that all religions have the core truth about who God is. We just work it out in different ways. 43% of evangelicals agree with statement number seven. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Really so as a missionary to cults and non-Christian religions, which is what Joy and I specialize in, we hang out with Uh, Wiccans and Buddhists and Hindus, and we just have a great time talking with them. Uh, I'll be at the Parliament of the World's Religions this summer, where we'll have a gathering of 10,000 probably uh, people from religions around the world. Uh, Frank is going to be with us, several of us are going to be with us, and it's a great time because they're there to talk about spiritual things. And so we can share the gospel with them. We, unfortunately, need to do that in the church because they forget. The context nearly all of the New Testament letters were written to correct bad behavior and false teaching. In some cases, defenders could act in loveless ways. In other words, apologists could be mean. For many, the desire is to avoid conflict or even trust their emotions to inform their beliefs or decisions. That is the context of the New Testament. When I meet with someone who's in a cult, usually, or starting a new cult, and I meet them quite frequently, and I'll ask them, what is it that you're doing exactly? What are you trying to do as a group? And they say this, we're trying to restore first-century Christianity. And I ask them, have you, like, read the Bible? We have first-century Christianity today. Today it hasn't really changed. Every letter just about was written to refute bad teaching and bad behavior, almost without exception. And it replaced it with good sound teaching and proper behavior toward culture, toward believers, and toward God. Most of us develop our worldview through what I would call osmosis. It seeps in to us through the books we read, the magazines we read, the films we watch, the radio we listen to, uh, the sermons that we hear, it's oftentimes going unchecked. There's no filter that it goes through. And then one day we start talking about something that we firmly believe and have no idea where it came from. And when challenged on it, we become a little angry because it implies, at least to us, that I am somehow spiritually inferior. That's not the case. It just means we have believed something that's false. We can fix that. But we do have to have the challenge. The unfiltered information then is carried into various of our peer groups. It comes from discussions outside the body of believers, stories we hear uh, in our age, the books we read, sometimes from what we think are trusted publishers, InterVarsity Press, for example. Can't trust them. Thomas Nelson Publishers, got to be careful. Not everything that comes from a Christian press is done by a Christian author or carries Christian doctrine. You've got to be discerning, but you have to know what the Bible teaches in order to do that. It then comes into the church. Often the pastor and elders are unaware. Why? Because what you do in the privacy of your home and in your small groups, we don't know about. And suddenly... Somebody is sharing something with somebody else that starts filtering through, and we go, well, where did this come from? Well, this is from book such and such or so and so. So <clears throat> it's hard to keep up with it. Discernment is necessary. A few decades ago, there was a battle between liberalism and conservatism is was being waged over uh, which groups would control the Southern Baptist Convention, We have that happening again, even now. The progressives and conservatives are in battle. Dr. Geiser asked Charles Stanley, uh, why is it so difficult for so many to take a stand for orthodoxy? And Dr. Stanley made an interesting reply. It has become fraternity over orthodoxy. Because Dan is my friend, I don't want to say something that may hurt his feelings. But am I really his friend? if I don't want to tell him that something he's teaching is wrong. Fortunately, Dan knows I care about him, and so he's open to it. Sometimes I could be wrong in my understanding of what he said, and I can't know that until we talk about it. So fraternity, my friendship, cannot outweigh my orthodoxy. They have to go hand in hand. George Orwell, I like George Orwell. I don't know how how many of you have read his stuff. But uh, he's the author of 1984, Animal Farm, and other pretty interesting books. And he made this observation. All propaganda is a lie, even when it's telling the truth. All propaganda is a lie, even when it's telling the truth. Why is that? Because the point of propaganda is to persuade you to change your mind and follow another group. Can they tell you truthful things and accomplish that end? Yes, but it's always mixed in with very false things, and it makes it tough to distinguish. Pastors and elders are not always aware of the spiritual virus that is coming into their church and infected the local body. And uh, as we start going through this and we find, uh, we find that I lost my place in my laptop. That's what always- <laughs> Ah, uh, okay. In the book of Re- and it's spread through the church before they even are aware that it's there. Pastors and elders are not always aware, and so we see that that is actually true in the New Testament times. This is not new for today. In fact, we did our book on the Enneagram. One of the points we made very early on is heresy has been with us for how long? Since the Garden of Eden. This isn't new. And it has always had to be guarded uh, against. In the book of Revelation, the Lord addresses seven churches. As we read his comments, we notice the same or similar false teachers and teachings are included in his comments to three of those churches. In Revelation 2, 1 through 6, the Apostle John is directed to write to a church that we actually know pretty well is the church in Ephesus. Uh, Revelation 2, 1 through 6 To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. Here's a plus for you guys. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. How many of you know about the Nicolaitans? Hardly anybody. Dan. Dan does. I'm glad Dan does. (laughs) A bit of background on the church might provide some understanding. In Acts uh, 18, we find that Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila traveled together to Ephesus. Paul left shortly after their arrival, and Priscilla and Aquila remained and founded the church in Ephesus. Paul returned about a year later, and describes his ministry there in Acts 19. Uh, he spent about three months reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue, then he changed location and reasoned in the, uh, daily in the hall of Tyrannus for about two years. Paul was in Ephesus for roughly three years, led a number of people to the Lord, established the church more solidly with the current leadership there, and then went off on more journeys. In Acts 20... He's in during his travels, he calls to the Ephesian elders. And as he contacted them, they talked about what was going on, and he gives them a charge. He says this in uh, Acts 20 28 through 30. Pay careful attention to yourselves, to who? Yourselves, the elders, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. That's the warning, and that's your task. These are men he had trained. He's reminding them of their duties, and he says, here's why. False teachers are going to come in. After being released from his first imprisonment in Roman Acts 28, Paul sent a young pastor named Timothy to combat false doctrine that was then troubling the church in Ephesus. Uh, and uh, we see this cor- his discharge in Tim 1 Timothy 1.3. It's interesting that in Revelation 2 in the Lord's letter uh, contained the praise for the Ephesians continued to do the very thing that Paul and Timothy had taught them. So they're still at it. They're checking the apostles or those who claim to be apostles. They're checking those who claim to be prophets, and they're going, no, you guys are false guys. Just go away. We don't want you here. They're standing firm for that. There's also a rebuke in that same area and also includes calling them to task for something they had walked away from. They had abandoned the love they had at first. The Faith Life Study Bible sheds a little light. The church was initially zealous, and motivated by love, but that love diminished as time passed. This love could be directed at God or brothers and sisters in the Lord. Their love for unbelievers in the city may have also waned under the heavy duty of persecution. We can get tired of the persecution. We can get tired of dealing with issues in the church. We can sort of become loveless in the process. We carry out our duties, maybe, but we're not connected in the way that we ought to be. I I wrote a story, a survey not too long ago about those who attend churches as visitors uh, and maybe will stay for a while, and they don't feel like they've developed friendships. They're saying the people are nice enough, and they do greet me on Sunday morning, but we're not connecting as friends. And that's something that churches need to work at, because friendships happen more naturally in the right kinds of settings. It's more than just saying, how are you today? It's easy to forget what we do and why we do it, and there's another individual that Christ died for on the other end of our defense. I have to remind young apologists of this all the time. When we're dealing with false teachings, remember, the person you talk to is someone that you need to be caring about because you're delivering difficult news that they will be hurt when they hear. So be careful doesn't mean don't tell them. It does mean be careful in your approach. This is an issue that Paul wrote to Timothy, the young pastor, about in Ephesians uh, in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. He says, to be kind, not quarrelsome, and gentle. I like that. You might want to argue at the drop of a hat, and you might want to drop the hat. Don't do it. Be kind, be gentle, and not 1 awesome. Peter agrees in 1 Peter 3.15. Ephesus, like God's people all down through history, had their share of problems. And yet, the Lord points out something about the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, which is helpful for our understanding. You hate the works, circle that word if you have your Bible, of the Galatians, Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Notice it is the works, the behaviors, the practices, not the individuals. The works, the behaviors, and the practices, not the people that Christ died for. Maybe that helps. What we know about the Nicolaitans is mostly what we learn from the early church fathers. Uh, Irenaeus, Hippolytus of Rome, Epaphanes, Jerome, Clement, Eusebia of Caesarea, all wrote about him. The Nicolaitans believed and taught that a person is saved by grace through faith, but, I capitalized but, but. And this is where the deception begins. It is only the spirit of a person that is saved. And therefore, it doesn't matter how you live. They had both a different Jesus and a different salvation, in practice, the Nicolaitans treated the inspired inerrant word of God in the Hebrew Scriptures, the teachings of the Lord and his apostles, as little more than wisdom literature. Ephesus and Pergamos were both pagan cities and were steeped in sexual immorality and idol worship. The main temples to Rome and Greek deities were located in these cities and in some cases complete with temple prostitutes. It was a very, very pagan culture in which the churches existed. The Nicolaitans strayed from the true faith in the same way that people of God typically stray from the true faith. They did not overtly reject the faith, but instead syncretized pagan beliefs and practices into the faith and then called it Christian, sort of Christian-like, if you will. Christ may have held an important position, but... The Christ of the Nicolaitans was permissive, unconcerned, and even supportive of engaging in sexual, immoral practices. Idolatry was tolerated, and this new mixed faith was elevated to, equal to, or perhaps superior to, that old-fashioned Christian faith that they were getting from the apostolic teachers. The church in Pergamon was also located in a religious center of worship, and many deities, Unlike the church of Ephesus, the Nicolaitans had infiltrated the ranks uh, of the church in Pergamos. Revelation 7, uh, excuse me, Revelation 2, 12 through 16, there we are. To the angel of the church of Pergamum, write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness." who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam and who taught Balak to put the stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent." If you do not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. David Stern uh, explains the correlation in the Jewish New Testament commentary. Understanding the Jewishness of the New Testament is really helpful in many areas. Uh, Although God did not allow Balaam to do what Balak had hired him for, namely curse Israel, Balaam made up for the king Uh, Of Moab's disappointment by counseling Israel to engage in idolatry and harlotry, so no, Balaam didn't curse Israel as God told him not to do. Instead, he brought them into pagan worship and idolatry—not a good thing. And yet, that's what he did. So now we understand what the Nicolaitans were were advocating—the same kind of thing, the practices are more than just eating meat sacrificed to idols, something that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 8. Rather, by comparing these practices, it is as they were engaging in pagan worship, pagan idolatry, and immoral sexual practices. It is possible that many in church leadership were unaware that there were those within the church who were holding to these things. And so he does say the church as a whole needs to repent. If they don't, he'll step up to the task himself and wage war on the Nicolaitans. In Revelation 2, 18 through 20, we have the third church. So the angel of the church in Thyatira, the words of the Son of God whose eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. You started out well, and they have improved greatly. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now we have someone who's claiming to be a prophet. They're not testing her and saying, "You're you're a false prophet. Uh, Instead, they are supporting and encouraging what she's doing and following through on what she's teaching, which is what? Idol worship, pagan worship, sexual immorality. All three are connected. Again, Sayatea is not a, a large city, but it's the center of manufacturing and trades. Most of its businesses were directly linked to pagan religions. This put pressure on Christians to conform to peer pressure of the community. In the crucible, their faith, uh, their works grew, but were strengthened and were knowingly tolerating false prophetess and seducing uh, her seducing influence over the church uh, by having the believers engage in sexual immorality. As we look back over history, we discover there really isn't much in the way of new heresy. Most heresy is simply updated and recycled. In fact, we have a little commercial that we do on our uh, webcast. We call it the Heresy Recycling Network. You never want to run out of heresy, so it's best to just recycle it. If we keep using it at the rate we are by 2020, by 2080, we're going to run out of heresy, and all discernment ministries will have to go out of business probably. Not. Most is simply update and recycle. We see this with the comparison of Nicolaitans to Balaam and Balak, in the church of Pergamum, in Revelation, we have three churches, and each responds differently to the same problem. The church in Ephesus would not tolerate false teaching and false, uh, uh, false prophets and Nicolaitans, but their zeal to witness to those outside the body of believers waned. The church in Pergamum held firmly to the Lord, but seemingly unaware of the infiltration of false teaching in their midst. The church in Thyatira tolerated a false prophetess, sexual immorality, and idolatry. So you see, it progresses. Each one progresses depending on how discerning the leadership is and those within the church. We see the response uh, operating within the church today. There are churches and, quote, discernment ministries that are on firm doctrinal purity but seem to have lost their first love. It was replaced by the argument. We're refining the argument so that we can demonstrate to who's offending why they're defending in a rational way. Maybe there's something else that's keeping them there. A pastor friend, Fred Greening, at one time taught apologetics in a Bible college, Baptist Bible college, and after a while he gave up because he discovered that everyone he was teaching just became mean-spirited, and he he thought, I don't want to teach people just to be mean-spirited. And so he gave up on it. And then we met him. We started attending his church. It was a delightful church, old country pastor from Oklahoma. Uh, and uh, we had great fun together. And after a while, he, he, he came to me and he said, you know, I haven't really met apologists like you enjoy. You actually care about people more than the argument. Uh, and he started then doing a thing where he talked about um, mindless evangelism and heartless apologetics mindless evangelism and heartless apologetics. And he's right on that. We have to have a mind for the Lord in order to defend the faith. We have to have a heart for the lost and the Lord in order to do it in the right spirit. They go together. Being aware of various heresies, uh, being aware that various heresies are afoot and perhaps infiltrating the church, the task of the pastor and the elders is pretty clear. Pastor Dan did a series last year on the cultural zeitgeist. That is important stuff. Because he's not only teaching them what the Bible is teaching, he's saying, here's what you're up against when you leave this building. Be aware of that. And what may be infiltrating, so you can be alert for that. A growing heresy in the church today is the New Apostolic Reformation. Few realize that by name, but it is in most churches to some degree or another, usually they infiltrate through their music that's how they get in uh, it's governed by the new apostolic apostles uh, at Bethel Reading in California and Hillsong. They have a number of churches around the world, and their whole task is to through taking over all of all seven mountains of Leadership on the planet to then Christianize the world. That's their mandate. And they come in through the music. And then folks start looking at other material, and they start being indoctrinated into their belief system. Why? Because they don't have discernment. And so they start adopting false beliefs. Why? Because propaganda can use the truth sometimes to persuade you. What sort of things do they have? Well, they offer up tarot cards, but they have renamed them to destiny cards. Uh, At least they sound more Christian, but they accomplish the same thing. To infiltrate, uh, they don't ordinarily give them the proper uh, credibility. uh, And they do come in, their revenue stream is primarily through their music. They have very talented musicians, very talented songwriters, uh, but as Orwell pointed out, all propaganda is a lie, even when it's telling the truth. For a good book on this, I would recommend uh, Holly Pivok and Doug Gavette's book, Counterfeit Kingdom, The Dangers of New Revelation, New Prophets, and New Age Practices in the Church. On another foot, we are embracing uh, sexual immorality. Another good book, sociologist George Yancey, in fact, we're going to have him on our webcast this Tuesday, uh, wrote a book called One Faith No Longer, The Transformation of Christianity in Red and Blue America. And he wrote an insightful article two years ago called Who's More Political, Progressive or Conservative Christians? Let me ask you, who's more politically active, progressives or conservative Christians, do you think? Pardon? Yes, progressives. Pardon? Progressives. Yes, no, there is one, more, one group that is more politically active than the other. Pardon? Okay. Let me tell you what he says. What the Bible means often differs between progressive and conservative Christians, contrary to what some conservative Christians assert. Progressives don't entirely reject the Bible, yet many of them don't envision the Bible as inerrant or infallible, but rather as a book of wisdom They see scripture as influenced by human authors and question the traditional historical interpretations of conservative Christians. They instead apply their interpretation, which is tied to their social justice, inclusion, and tolerance. Their theological and political orientations are linked to their larger core values. So their politics determines how they understand the Bible. Conservatives, on the other hand, How we understand the Bible determines how we vote and what our views are. So we both appeal to the Bible differently. It's not that they're throwing out. They're just saying it's a good guide, but it's not really infallible and inerrant. We're saying, no, it is the guide. It is infallible and inerrant. And I have to vote as God teaches me on social issues. So they're very different uh, approaches. This raises the question in the primary theme of the Bible about being socially conscious. Is it about being socially conscious or how to be reconciled to God? What is the main theme? It's about being reconciled to God. The other things become fruit of a reconciled life. They are not how we are reconciled. A growing number of evangelicals are accepting uh, gay marriage as normative, critical race theory as the guiding principles for how we need to function as a society. Social justice has replaced biblical justice. Critical race theory has replaced biblical teaching on unity in Christ. Contemplative prayer and other practices have replaced contemplating on the Word of God, uh, studying the Scriptures, praying for others in those prayer times. In other words, a relationship with God versus a relationship. With ourselves, sort of. A few years ago, Brian McLaren called for a moratorium, I like this, on teaching against homosexuality for five years. Why? Because he felt the church needed to give God about five years for the Holy Spirit to determine what we should believe on this issue. I went, Has he like read the Bible? This is sort of my theme these days. Have they like read the Bible? Shortly after he he made that declaration, he officiated his son's same-gender marriage. So why did he call for this? Well, I can't speak to motives, but it would seem that he called for this moratorium to give him the opportunity to affirm his son's choices. We have a short video that I'd like to show you so you can see where Christian celebrities are on this issue today. In
1: December of 22, the White House awarded Amy Grant for her artistic achievements, the first time an artist in contemporary Christian music received such an honor. A few days later, Grant made headlines again because she was hosting her niece's same-sex wedding, and suddenly it made sense how she got her award. For years, Grant has supported the gay pride movement. A growing number of CCM artists are doing the same. Reliant K brought on tour a foul-mouthed artist who goes by similar and claims to be queer. Dan Hasseltine of Jars of Clay, John Foreman of Switchfoot, and Kevin Max of DC Talk are gay-affirming. Similar comments have been made by Lecrae, Andy Minio, and Kirk Franklin. You might remember Lauren Daigle's I don't know response when asked if homosexuality is sin. Members of Mercy Me and Elevation Worship have also given ambiguous answers. A church co-founded by David Crowder is now doing gay weddings. Dolly Parton and Carrie Underwood have won Dove Awards from the Gospel Music Association, though they openly support the Gay and Lesbian Alliance. Jennifer Knapp, Ray Bolts, Vicki Beeching, and Trey Pearson of Everyday Sunday say they're LGBTQ, and there will be more. Professing Christians who lust for sex, money, and the world's approval will show what they truly worship. Romans 132 says, although they know the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Beware this movement of apostasy by holding fast to Jesus Christ when we understand the text.
0: The gay Christian debate is dividing the Presbyterian Church of America, PCA, and other denominations. The SBC Southern Baptist Church is having a similar problem. Some churches are changing their membership documents to provide for same-gender couples to join while engaging in sexual immorality. I need to say something that's, I think, important. We need to love the people, to care for the people, because they're people for whom Christ died. We do not have to affirm the activities. If someone came to me and said, I am a pedophile Christian, how should I respond? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, this is the same category. The Bible is very clear on what sexual immorality is. If it's adultery, that's just that's no different, really, than homosexuality. That's right? right. Yep. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality. That is the end of the discussion. Now, it's possible I'm going to offend somebody with that, but so. <laughs> That's what the Word of God says. I had to be faithful to my wife. It's divisive. You know what? This is divisive. This is a divisive thing. And that's okay. Because, as my friend the late Norman Geischer said, when he got married, and this happened to me the same way, I promised to divide from all other women. And nobody thought that was a bad thing. Sometimes doing the right thing is divisive, but we can care about people in those situations in spite of the works, because we're called to proclaim the gospel and disciple them into the faith. That's our task. That's our mission. But we have to be aware that it is sin. And this climate the Bible is viewed as little more than a wisdom book to be interpreted by social values that are popular today. Tolerance and personal experience are what they appeal to. An anonymous self-professed gay contributed to the Patheos blog, Uh, hits the nail on the head about how to infiltrate the church. How do we gain acceptance in the church? She writes this, In talking to evangelical Christians about homosexuality in the Bible, the left too often uses academic and theological arguments. In other words, they're using what the Bible says, trying to persuade them that it says homosexuality is okay. Because the faith of an evangelical Christian is so often tied to a personal experience with God, These sorts of arguments rarely work. When you appeal to the Bible, it doesn't support the ideas. What is needed is to connect arguments to support homosexuality to one's own personal relationship to God and how that can be reconciled with support of homosexuality. I need to appeal to you on an emotional basis to accept my activity. Now, I'm not speaking like I have never had friends who are gay. We have. I've spoken about this before. My wife was on a softball league, and they had some gays there. (laughs) Sometimes she was their biggest defender, not for their lifestyle, but because the other girls could be really mean to them sometimes. I had a situation where I had a contractor, a, a, a client... Who wanted to hire me, but he was concerned because the designer was gay. And so he said, I really want to hire you, but my designer's gay. We well, have a problem with that. And I said, As long as he doesn't ask me for a date, we'll probably get along fine. <laughs> I worked with him for five years. I became the go to guy for him and his friend when their house was broken into. He lives 30 miles away. Why didn't he call one of his friends in his area? Because he trusted me to come and help him resolve the problem. You can have a relationship, but you have to be careful how that happens. The first time we met, we were in a car. He called me and said, I'm going to drive. I said, okay, fine. Uh, I know why he wanted to do that. He wanted to control of the car. He wanted control of the radio. He wanted to control the environment. He wanted control of the discussion. Why? He's got a Bible banger coming to get in his car. This is a scary thought for him. And he pulls out of his office and onto an expressway in Chicago. How many have driven on expressways in Chicago? aren't they misnamed? Nothing is expressed. He immediately hit a roadblock and he sat there for a few minutes and silence was overwhelming and he finally said, did the client let you know that I'm gay? And I said, he did. He said, "Uh, do you have a problem with that? I said, yeah, as long as you don't ask me for a date, we'll probably get along fine. And he kind of chuckled. And then he said, well, isn't homosexuality a sin? Of course said, of course it's a sin. But there's a lot of sins in the Bible, you know, like lying, gossip, slander. I'm not altogether sure that homosexuality is—is it wor- that slander is it worse than homosexuality? I mean, once you gossip about somebody, you can't fix that. You, on the other hand, can still repent. Five years we worked together. We had an interesting friendship. It was always clear my view on this. It was never an assault on him as an individual. It was dealing with the issues of his behavior. So what? First of all, none of us should really be surprised at what we're seeing. Everything we are seeing has been happening with God's people all down through history. It is simply recycled heresy. Jude talks about this. You, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. If we care about people, we do have to talk to them about these issues, but we don't have to be mean-spirited about it. So what's the challenge to us at Wonder Lake Bible Church? Well, we're doing a lot of things really right. I appreciate the leadership for that. But we need to stay on top of being informed and to help one another. We need to be praying for each other in the various relationships that we have, because some of us know people engaged in various sin that we're not really sure how to address. So we need to have the words to be able to speak to those issues. Mostly, our day-to-day task is simple, to love God, love those in the body of Christ, and love our neighbor as ourselves. I've heard someone say that before. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to share your word to speak to the issues in culture and to help to better understand how it is that we as believers can minister to those around us, both in the body and outside the body, that we might be useful vessels to glorify you in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.